Well, thank you so much, Chris and Grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our teams who have been so faithfully over the last uh, many weeks uh, helping us get back into meeting in person. Uh, Lord, would you bless them today? Would you help them get rest today? And thank you for the space that you've given us at the Hyatt that we can meet again next week and weeks going forward in person. Boy, that's certainly something we don't take for granted anywhere near as much as we we, we used to. And, but but fathers, we meet together in in this space in this setting digitally today. Father, would you would you fill us with your Spirit all the more, and would you help us understand what you have in front of us from, from your Word, giving us each your Spirit? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome everybody to Current. My name is David. Uh, happy uh, 4th of July to you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, we're going to be reading from there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, the words will be on your screen. So let me read that the, the scripture reading today, which is Exodus uh, 33 verses 7 through 22, and then we'll get into the teaching. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Today we are continuing this short series we're in. We're calling Finding Rest. And the whole idea behind it is here we are coming out of a little over a year of shelter in place, tired. I mean, it's kind of funny to think about it. I mean, a lot of us have just been kind of at home, not doing the normal things we had been doing. And yet here we are spent. So many people are tired and just coming out of this exhausted emotionally, relationally, mentally, even physically and spiritually. And so what we thought we'd do is here at the end of June, now beginning of July, is do this short series considering how God wants us to find rest in him. So last week we looked at the example of Elijah. 
Today, of course, we're looking at the example of Moses, and it seems to me the key verses are here in verses 14 and 11. So verse 14, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Today, we're going to consider how God wants us to give us the deep, soulful rest that we long for through friendship with himself. We're going to consider how God wants to give us the rest that we really want, desire, and need through friendship. And we're going to consider this in three ways. We're going to consider why this friendship with God is so important, what it is, and how we get it. So why it's important, what it is, and how we get it. So first, why this friendship with God is so important. So where we pick up in the biblical account here in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, is the people of God are out in the wilderness. God had delivered them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, through the Red Sea, brought them through the wilderness, and now they are at Mount Sinai, or the mountain of God, or if you were here with us last week, also known as Mount Horeb, where Elijah would later meet with God himself. And Moses is up on the mountaintop speaking with God. And while that's happening, the very famous, infamous event of the golden calf is taking place. Uh, Any of you seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, starring uh, Charlton Heston? I think it was made in the the 50s or so. It's kind of required watching for for me in a film class in college. If you've seen it, it, it seems to me that that movie really captures the whole debauchery of it all. I mean, the people of God just threw all caution to the wind, just crafting this, this golden calf, worshiping it, and just committing all sorts of gross acts of, of debauchery and, and the rest of it. And Moses is up there communing with God on the mountaintop. And at one point, God says to Moses, you need to get back down there because the people of God are just, just doing some, some terrible things. And so Moses comes down the mountain and you know, he, he sees what's happening. He just tosses down the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them, and God punishes the people, a plague breaks out, and it's only then that the people of God finally feel ashamed and terrible with what they had been doing. And so we pick up in chapter 33, just before the text that I read, and God essentially says to all the people, I'm done, I'm done with you. My, my presence is no longer going to be with you. I can't do this anymore. I have to remove myself from you because if I'm too close to you, I'm going to bring swift judgment. Uh, any of you relate to that kind of feeling? I imagine parents, maybe you have, you've had a kid just kind of do certain things, just kind of get under your skin. And then all of a sudden it's like, you got to remove yourself. Otherwise you don't want to bring about swift, swift judgment. God's saying, I, I, I will keep my promises with you. I will lead you into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. I will, I will send my angel to go with you but not my presence. I'm not going to go with you. And we're told the people of God were cut to the heart at this, that they were just went into a time of mourning. And so where we pick up in our text, we see Moses going out, setting, uh, going outside the camp to set up a tent of meeting where he would inquire upon the Lord, verse 7. And we're told when he went out that all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses as he entered the tent. And then in verse 10, they all stood and worshiped God, each at the entrance of the tent as Moses met with God. And God says to Moses in our text, my presence will go with you. Now, what's important to understand here from this statement is in the original Hebrew language, this word you is singular, meaning God is saying to Moses, my presence will go with you, Moses, 
but not the people. They've just I, I've I've had it with them. I've I've just made up I, I, my mind there. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go with them. I'll, I'll go with you. But Moses responds, "If your presence does not go with us, then don't send us." Uh, Moses hears that God is saying, "My presence will go with with you," but and then and responds, "But God, if your presence doesn't go with all of us, with myself and the people, then don't send us up." Moses hadn't committed the gross acts of sin that the people had surrounding the events of the golden calf. And yet Moses is saying, you, you, can't, just send, you can't just send your presence with me out of here. You got to send it with, with all of us. And if you're not going to send your presence with all of us, then it'd be better if we don't go. And here's what we see uh, right here in, in this text. Uh, here's a, a way of understanding what's going on. God, in a way, was offering the people a religion that many people want. He was offering them this idea that he would bless them, that he would provide for them, that he would take care of them, that he would even drop everything right into their laps, giving an angel to kind of make it all happen. And yet, he would, they would not have to do the whole God thing. They could just go to Moses, their leader, and talk to him and let him go to the, the, into the presence of God. But for, for themselves, they would receive all the blessing, receive all the protection, the, the provision, but not have to do the whole God thing. And what we see here is Moses, along with the people, just are cut to the heart and don't want that, are terrified at that. I mean, you'd be like God offering to, to you and me our own versions of whatever the promised land might mean whatever the, the land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, think about it. For, for the ancient society back then where, where the tribe, the, the, the community, the group, the family was everything, they were promised the promise that this land flowing with milk and honey where they could finally settle and, and be at rest and have their identity like caught up in all of that. It was the mountaintop of desires for the ancient people to have that sort of thing. In our own Western, more individualistic society, it'd be as if God said to you or and me, hey, I will give you your dream job. You can start, I'm, I'm going to allow you to do that startup you've always wanted and you're going to make it big. You're going to make millions and millions. Or maybe for you, it'd be, you know, I'm going to give you the, the, the love of your life where you can raise a family. Or, or maybe it's, I'm going I'm to give you your own promised land here where you can, I'm going to make it so you can afford this expensive area of the Silicon Valley where you can get a comfortable home, a nice place to live. It's as if God was offering all of that to you and to me. And he said, but, I, you know, you don't have to do the God thing. You could just show up and, you know, go to the Moses or go to the pastor and, and they'll do that for you. And what we see is Moses and the people out there in the front of their tents, uh, terrified at that, just utterly don't want that. Moses putting it to words, if your presence doesn't go with us, God, then don't send us. We'd rather stay in the wilderness than receive that wonderful promised land if you're not going to go with us. What we see here is friendship with God is so important because it's the only place we can find ultimate rest. Friendship with God is so important because it's the only place we can find ultimate rest. In other words, you can receive your version of the promised land, of the land flowing with milk and honey, but it will never fully, ultimately give you the rest your soul just so desperately desires because you keep wanting more. You'll never be satisfied. And by the way, that's if you actually achieve it, let alone if you don't. Only God and friendship with him can provide the ultimate rest we truly 
long for. And really, this is what's behind our name as a church here at Current. We like to think of the Silicon Valley as having a strong current, if you will, where we can easily find our ultimate value, meaning, purpose, identity, in things like career, resume stats, making it big, making a difference even. But Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as, as the scriptures teach, from within them will flow rivers of living water. In other words, there's a new current in Jesus, if you will, that when we find our ultimate meaning, value, purpose, identity in him, we will find abundant life, both now and forever. I was talking with a good friend this last week who was telling me about how uh, one of the founders of the company that he works for and, and, and CEO has just, you know, checked every box in terms of the, the dream of a Silicon Valley person, startup, billionaire, you know, just everything going on paper well for this person. And yet in the workplace, this person often comes across as very insecure, having to talk in a certain way to try to assert themselves and show that they really know what they're talking about and, and unable to allow other people at the company to take positions that they might need to do or, or lean into their own giftings, needing to hold on to that uh, himself so that he could just find his worth in that sort of thing. And we were just kind of considering that and thinking about how crazy it is that we can achieve so much in this life, really the pinnacle of what people would like to achieve and yet still feel at the soul level, unfulfilled. This is because God made us to be in relationship with him. I mean, one of the things we see here in this text over and over again is Moses and God saying they know one another. And God knows Moses by name. It's remarkable. And so we can achieve the greatest of all achievements or come up short in everything we had hoped for. But if we have God, we have all that we need. Or think about this practically for a moment. If we have God and we achieve the world, if we're not grounded in him, we could easily become overly confident, overly proud. Like we're all that. Or if we don't achieve what we really hope to achieve, if we're grounded in him, then we will never be devastated or even phased to our core. We can hold loosely whatever it is we're, we're shooting for or what's happened or not happened knowing that what we have is infinitely greater, and that is knowing and being known by God himself, and that that can't be taken away. And so let me ask before we move on here, what's your religion? Is it one where God is met outside the camp? Is it one where you're looking to him almost exclusively for the blessing, for the provision, for the protection, for the deliverance, whatever it might mean, or is it going to God for God? Is it looking to him for him? Moses and the people did not want the promised land if it didn't include God and his presence. They would rather have stayed out in the wilderness and frankly died than go and into the wonderful promised land to receive all the blessings and not have God himself. That's why friendship with God is so important. It's the only place we can truly find the soulful rest that we, we long for at, at, to the deepest of our cores. Now, that's why uh, friendship with God is so important. But what is it? What does it look like? So again, verse 11 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. All right, so what we see in this text are at least three principles for what friendship with God is. First of all, we see that friends are there for you. Moses' whole deal here is, God, we want your presence with us. 
Don't send us out if we don't have your presence. This word presence in the Hebrew language is the, is the word paneum, which literally means face. It's the word face. Unless your face goes with us, Moses said, don't send us out, which is so helpful in terms of understanding what's going on here. I mean, recently, uh, actually this last Sunday, I, was, I, I happened to see a, a gal who had come back to church for the first time in person for, for what seemed like over, over a year. I hadn't seen her for so long, and we were just kind of catching up, and we were saying it's so good to see each other. And she shared that, yeah, she was, she was nervous to come back out. She was just like, you know, after the pandemic, she didn't know how things would be, but she was so glad that she had come out because, man, it's been so good to see people face to face. And we were talking about that for a little bit, how like amazing it is, how much we need at kind of like the core level, seeing people face to face. One of the most important ministries, it seems to me more and more clearly, is the ministry of presence. I mean, we talk about how ministry at church, helping get things going on a Sunday morning or in the middle of the week, helping out in in the community, whatever it might mean, these wonderful acts of service are incredibly important opportunities for ministry, but there's also an unstated, just as important, if not more important ministry in the ministry of presence. When we show up and we see one another, when we're there together, able to see each other smile, able to ask how the other is doing, I think that's something we've taken for granted and and something we're starting to understand more and more how much we truly need and how much God wants us to not only receive that from others, but to offer it to others. And so I would just continue to encourage you, both as a pastor and and a friend, if you're still at home uh, on on a regular basis for reasons of health, okay, you got to work that out and figure out what's what's best for for you. But if if it's continuing to be out of habit, I would encourage you to come back out not only for the ministry that you could receive, this ministry of face-to-face presence, but also the ministry that you can have and God wants to have through you to others. In our, and in our relationship with God, he doesn't just want our relationship to be, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> he doesn't just want my, his relationship with me to be solely David coming to him with, God, please help, please provide. And so let me ask you, as we talk about how God wants us to seek his face, uh, that friends are, are there for you and he, he's there for us. Uh, let me ask you, do you ever go to the Lord without an agenda? Say in prayer, do you ever go to him without just a, a laundry list of, of needs or, or wants? Do you ever just go to him for him? And let me ask you, if you haven't, uh, what might that sound like to go to him for him, seeking his face, his presence, knowing that he's, he's there for you? Uh, we'll continue to talk about what that could look like as we move forward. So first of all, friends are, are there for you. Second, friends let you in. Uh, probably the most staggering thing about the text that, that we've read is, to, to me at least, is the audacity of Moses to speak to God the way he speaks here to the Lord. I mean, Moses is always respectful. He always does. He's always very reverent. But, but check out how he goes to God here, almost demanding. In verse 15, he says, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us out. I mean, that's bold. That's, that's, a, that's de- uh, like a demand. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I'd be scared to pray that prayer. That's a bold prayer to bring for the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things. And yet, how does the Lord respond? Verse 17, I will do the very things you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. 
I mean, that's incredible that the Lord would respond that way. Not only is God undeterred, he actually honors Moses' audacity. And here's a picture, really, of what it means to be, uh, uh, what verse 11 really means. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's a staggering thought. But friends, let you in. God will always let you in. Now, do you remember how God did this for Elijah? As we considered this last week in 1 Kings 19, God comes to Elijah when he's just spent, when he's just feeling it, he's just down and out, and he, he asks very patiently, Elijah, what are you doing here? What's going on, Elijah? And Elijah, if, if you're here, you, you know, just kind of goes on a little mini rant. God, I've been so zealous for you. I've done everything you've wanted me to do, and things aren't turning out the way they should be turning out. What gives? And God doesn't, you know, in response, be like, are you kidding me? I'm God. Who, who do you think you are, Elijah? He doesn't put Elijah in his spot. Instead, he just listens to him and actually comes back and encourages Elijah. He says, oh, Elijah, I'm calling you into eternal things, wonderful things, and I'm going to give you the support you need, and you're not alone. You're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you. I'm going to support you. In other words, Elijah came to God and just let it all out, and God responded as a friend, a good friend. Friends will always let you in. God just wants to hear from you. I mean, the whole book of Job, just about, is Job just like letting it all out. Like, God, oh, this is so hard. And, and, and what we see is God wants us to just bring who we are, what we're feeling. And so if you're struggling, if you're really down, if you're spent, if you're tired, you're exhausted, you want to throw in the towel. Let me just ask, have you taken that to the Lord? Have you taken that to him to work through with him? Do you know that he's there and he wants to be there with you and meet you in that place? The reality is often we don't when, when we can't and he wants to meet us in that space. Friends are there for you. Friends let you in. And then third, friends are committed uh, through tough times. Uh, true friends won't let you down when things get hard. Here's God saying to Moses, all right, all right, all right, I'm committed. I'm committed to you and I'm committed to the people. My presence will go with you, with you all. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, when I say true friends always uh, uh, will never let you down, you might be thinking, well, if you're saying God will never let me down, it sure feels like he has let me down. And if you're saying God will always stick by my side, it, it sure feels like God hasn't always been there. He hasn't always stuck by my side. But what I gently say to you, friend, if that's you or when that is myself included, it seems to me that that's actually more of a statement of who we are to God versus who he is to us. Because God will never let you down, but we regularly let him down. I mean, think about the context of what we're talking about here. The people of God had only been provided for, protected by the Lord himself out of Egypt through the Red Sea through the wilderness, just in so many ways. And yet, how did they respond to God's goodness to them? But just continually rejected him, continually let him down. The issue in life isn't so much that God has let us down, it's that we regularly and repeatedly let him down. We regularly abandon him. And the reality is, if you stick with him as a friend, imperfect as you are, what you'll find is as you do, you'll eventually find that he that find that he hasn't actually abandoned you at all. Not, not in the least. 
The only way to find out that he has really stuck with you perfectly is to stick with him imperfectly as you will. That's a friend. So what's friendship with God? Friendship with God is going to him for his face, for his presence, for who he is. And it's being completely open with him, being vulnerable, letting him in. And, and, and just and knowing that he accepts you, knows you fully, and extends favor, as he says to, to Moses here, which actually is the same word for grace, that he extends grace. We can be completely open. And then finally, and this is the last point we've been making, in knowing that he will never let us down. It's, it's listening to him. It's trusting him. It's obeying and following him. It's sticking with him. As a friend, knowing that he's always there for us, even when we think maybe he's not. He is. He's always there. Never let us down. Okay, so that's why friendship with God is so important. That's what it is. Well, finally, okay, how do, how do we get it? How do we receive it? In verse 18, Moses demands of God, now show me your glory. Okay, another audacious request or demand. Now show me your glory. And God says, okay, Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass by you. Uh, but you cannot see my face because if you see it, it will kill you. Now, wait a minute. Which is it here? Uh, is it verse 11 where it says that Moses and God were speaking face to face? Or is it verse 20 where God literally says to Moses, if you see my face, it will kill you. This actually helps us understand what was going on in verse 11 when it says that God and Moses were speaking face to face. They were speaking with a real closeness and nearness, probably audibly, but very special nearness. And but, but, but not with a true manifestation of God's purest form. Moses wasn't seeing him in his truest manifestation because if he had, what we're told here in verse 20, it would have killed him. And the implication of this is all really clear. And that is, God is too holy. He's too righteous. He's too good. He's too wonderful that, that humankind, including the great servant of God, Moses himself, to see his true face would, would only kill us. That's because of sin. Look, God created us to be in relationship with him. And before we chose to reject him, they're in paradise, they're in the garden. We got to see him face to face. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with him face to face as friends. But when we chose, when they chose, when we chose to live apart from him, to reject him and his ways, sin entered the world and it marred our relationship with him. It created a barrier. He's too holy. We're too imperfect as he is perfect. And this is what Jesus came to restore for you and for me, to make possible an experience and relationship with God that even Moses himself at this time wasn't able to experience fully a restored relationship with God. And how did Jesus do this for us? How did he bring about this salvation? But he did it as a friend. Jesus didn't save us as a teacher. He came teaching wonderful things, but we can't do the things that he calls us to do. Even as you read them, you, and you and I read what he teaches, we understand intuitively, oh, this is wonderful. I wish I could do this. I ought to do this. We can't. Jesus didn't come to save us as a teacher. He came to save us as a friend. We've said that friends are there for you. Well, the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ is he left heaven to come to earth. He took on flesh and made his life among us, being with us. And we've said, friends, let you in. At one point, Jesus said in John 7, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's Jesus saying, you can be vulnerable with me because I know you fully and yet love you fully and perfectly. And if you want to talk about 
Jesus being vulnerable with us. I mean, just about the most vulnerable thing we can do for somebody is to open up our arms to them. Just open up our arms wide. And of course, what the cross tells us is that Jesus was willing to have his arms nailed open wide for you and for me. As he died for our sins, vulnerably for us. There's no greater act of service and love than that. And as we've said, friends are committed through the toughest of times. The 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said the great act of Christ on the cross is that he remained, that he stayed committed. Even as he was dying for our sins and we rejected him utterly, he remained committed. He could have gotten down, but he didn't. And of course, very famously, Jesus said to his followers near the end, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is a staggering statement. No other religion even comes close to offering what Jesus offers to you and me, that God made himself nothing, a servant to serve us, to die for us, that he might call us friends. I mean, it's an incredible thought that God wants and desires to be friends with you and for me and has made that way possible. That's what Jesus did for us as he broke down the barrier on the cross for our behalf, which means that we can know, we can truly know that he will never abandon us. He hasn't abandoned us, and if you if you went to the cross for us, he will never abandon us. And it means we can also go to him just completely vulnerable, exactly as we are, because he has died for everything that we that we have done, all our failings, all of our shortcomings. And we can also know that because he went to the cross, he will never let us down. He'll always be there. So you can go to God as a friend and find rest. You can seek his face and his presence. But will you? Will you go to God for God? Are you looking to be his friend, imperfect as, as you will be, to go into his arms open wide? And his rest, when you do, I will be there made available to you if you would just receive it. Let's pray. Father, it is a staggering thought to know that you desire to be friends with us, that you made it possible for us to be friends, and that you really are the perfect friend. Even we are far from perfect ourselves. And so we love you. We praise you. We're so thankful that you extend this kind of love for us. So Lord, we receive that, and would you help us increasingly live in light of that back to you? And Lord, would you help us be these sorts of friends to one another here at Current, loving and caring for one another, this ministry of presence, of face-to-face love and care and being there for one another, forgiveness and, and all the rest. We love you, Father. We thank you for the way that you, you provide for us in these ways. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's continue this time of worship now through song. 